am not a pest, Ramona Quimby told her big sister Beavis. Then stop acting like a pest, said Beavis, whose real name was Beatrice. She was standing by the front window waiting for her friend Mary Jane to walk to school with her. You just heard the opening lines of 1968's Ramona the Pest by Beverly Cleary. And this is Click It Cast, a Beverly Cleary podcast. Holy cats, this is just one of my favorite beginnings of any book. Like it's like of any children's book. This is just whew. So I reread this book laying in bed just to take notes on it. I've read this book. I don't know how many times uh, in my life. Uh, it's the first chapter book I ever read. Um, really? It was assigned to us in school. It's the first chapter book I was ever assigned to read in school. And I remember being intimidated by the fact that, oh boy, like we're reading books divided into chapters. Um, and we were, I, I don't, it was, I was very young and I didn't know who Ramona was. I didn't know who Beverly Cleary was or what to expect. I still remember sitting and reading this book in the classroom and being connected to this book and loving this character and loving the incidents and the the way it made me feel. I remember being enamored of the illustrations, kind of as this tiny little kid, like falling in love with Ramona, like wanting to know her and feeling sorry for her and bad for her and frustrated with her and laying in bed the other night, taking notes on it, just I'm whipping through the book just to like remember like the order things happened in. Because there's a few things that I was like, oh yeah, this happens in this book. Tearing up at the end of it. Like, I always do. Like, when things happen in this book and the reality of the situation and the way the Beverly Cleary captures the the frustration and unfairness and embracing the fact that children feel anger and not judging that and saying, like, yep, that's a part of being a kid is you're going to be angry a lot and you're not going to be able to – you're going to be scared of your own feelings and – the good adults are the ones who are the ones who can say, I totally get how you feel. It may not be appropriate to act like this all the time, but it's okay to feel this way. Like, there's so much sympathy and empathy and love in this book that I was just like laying in bed. It's like 11 at night. And I'm like highlighting passages and I'm like, yep, yep, it still works. It still works. Even though I've read this book about a thousand times, it still gets me every time. So that's that's my experience right there in a nutshell. Uh, I... As I said before, you know, I, I grew up reading the Henry Huggins books first. And when I was in middle school, everyone around me was reading the Ramona books. And I was kind of frustrated by the idea that Ramona was taking over by the, the, these books. But I did read the first several books through and enjoyed them. They didn't really stick in my head as much as a kid. But then I read these uh, to my kids uh-huh. in the 90s. And I, I must have read these through a couple dozen times each. There was also a series of books on tape, I remember at that time. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could remember who the person was who read, read those. They, they, they have been re-recorded so many times. Uh, it was not a famous voice. It was back... I, I have a kind of a, a fondness for voiceover artists who aren't um, like famous screen actors. I like people yeah. who are good at voiceover. And, and this person was, was excellent at this. Anyway, um, reading it through, you know, especially since we were coming down off of Mitch and Amy, I was wondering to what extent 
am I, is this just a better book? And to what extent is this so tied up in, in memory with me? But, it, you know, I, I was trying to be a, a little more hard-nosed about looking through <laughs> it this time, which doesn't work because you end up crying at this book and you end up <laughs> being very uh, touched by everything in this book. But I, it, it does everything that Mitch and Amy doesn't do. It has yeah. an overriding theme. It has uh, a plot that goes clearly from point A to point B. Each chapter is its own little uh, story that makes perfect sense. And it has several points along the way where we are treated to an interior monologue of Ramona's thoughts and they ring true and pointed and crystal clear and it makes you you know I think anyone who reads this again as an adult with um, an open heart will remember what it was like to be that age the fact that she titled the book Ramona the Pest and the first line in the book is I am not a pest to me like as a kid I didn't notice that but as an adult I'm like that's just that's just brilliant writing to have your your main character contradict the label that you've given them before the before the book proper even starts. Like it's almost as if the main character is before the action begins turns to the reader and is like just so you know, I'm not a I'm not actually what this book says I am. And we're going to make that clear throughout the rest of this book. So enjoy reading about it because we're going to totally contradict what you think a child what you think a pest child is. Like I don't know, there's just something this is a this is a work of literature where Mitch and Amy was just kind of like a failed exercise. To build on what you just said there about the opening line, I am not a pest. This is a book about, in many ways, about a the first time as a, as a child that you have a strong sense of identity and, the, and, and, and that you are surprised to learn new things about yourself. I think that uh, throughout this book, Ramona Ramona is very concerned on the one hand with rehabilitating her name. You know, she's certainly through all the Henry Huggins books, Ramona was there pretty much as a foil to Henry Huggins. Yeah. She was a foil to Beezus and Beezus and Ramona, but less so. That was a little bit more sympathetic to Ramona. And right. I think that this is trying to say, I'm not that. And yet the desire she has throughout this book is to explore what she might be you know there, yeah. there, there's there's ways she's concerned with going to school because she feels this is her opportunity to be a new person she wants to put on the witch mask especially because it's her ability it's her um a chance to sort of obliterate identity entirely um, yes and she's very concerned with relationship in this book with and particularly uh, the the major relationship she's concerned with in this book is between her and her her teacher, and if you're lucky enough to have had a really good teacher when you were in in grade school at one point, you you, you know that feeling that desire to the desire to be seen and the desire to um, the desire to confirm a good opinion in that in that teacher and and she feels you know all throughout this. She's constantly getting into situations where she does things impulsively and then she's very concerned about whether or not 
that's who she is now like she pulls the the, the curls of what's her name the, the girl oh Susan Susan she pulls Susan's curls and now she's worried this is all anyone's ever going to think of her yeah um, and the, the, that that desire for to to constantly remake yourself that 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 I think only starts to emerge at, 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 you know as a kid as a very little kid you know babies don't really even have a strong sense of the separation <coughs> between themselves and the world and then when you are a little child your relationships are basically you and your parents and you see the parents as being the world they're, yeah. they're going to provide the world to you and now when you actually move out into the world and start taking part of it everything opens up and there's this kind of a desire for exploration and that runs throughout this book for me is is ramona's constant desire to reimagine herself and to get people to see her that the way that she wants to be seen and also to not lose sight of herself right which is probably one of the more impactful moments in this book for me is in the scene the worst the baddest witch in the world uh, in that chapter when she realizes that behind the mask she's lost her identity and that she she wants to be this thing that she's created but she also wants people to keep in mind that she is Ramona Q and that moment where she actually frightens herself when she realizes that no one knows who she is and so she makes the sign with her new name on it the Ramona with the Q with the kitty cat uh, I didn't really get that very well as a you know, as a small child. Uh, but now today, it just brings the book into such sharper focus. I always, in my mind, I always remember that as being the end of the book, even though the book does go on for a couple more chapters, uh, because it does sort of, it closes a theme uh, that that will carry on through the rest of the series. Um, but you talked about her relationship with her teacher and her meeting uh, Susan and her meeting Davy. And her new friendship, this weird, contentious friendship with Howie. This book sets up characters and ideas that she will carefully carry through for the rest of the series. Uh, and one of the big ones is uh, the relationship Ramona has with her teacher. Uh, we meet a few of Ramona teachers throughout, and and Miss Binney is the first one that we meet. And I just love... Ramona learning to navigate this new relationship like what is a teacher supposed to be like are they supposed to be a parent are they supposed to love you are you supposed to love them do they even have to like you what if they don't like you do you mean a lot to them like are, are you important to them or are you someone they just forget about when they go home at night like do teachers exist outside this world uh, do they have lives outside the school like we can they get sick? Like, what happens when they don't show up? What's a substitute? Like, if a teacher is supposed to care about you when this substitute teacher shows up, what does that mean? Like, there's so many little interactions that she has as she's learning what school is and what learning is that that Cleary just tosses out there almost seemingly effortlessly, but that she builds to a beautiful point throughout this book. But then also, it's only the first tier of Ramona's education as she goes on through growing up. It's just... It just works beautifully. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I, as you mentioned, there will be several teachers throughout this series. And Miss Benny is, I think, a, a wonderful way to start in this. Yeah. Kind of, because 
there's a kind of um, an almost romantic love that Ramona feels for her in that she uh, sees her as this sweet, beautiful, young, exciting person who is this completely new adult in her life. And the, the desire to catch her eye is uh, to catch her teacher's eye is everything to Ramona at this point and that will not always be the case with her teachers right um, and that that's uh, you know as you as you mentioned the the question of what their relate that the relationship is to you is a, a profound one to the point that you know I a grown man almost 50 years old from time to time I will go back to my hometown and run into a teacher I had uh, when I was in third grade and they will say oh I will always remember this day that you did this and I have to go sit down for a while because I can't believe that someone has has kept that in their memory that long right one of the one of the things about this whole series and teachers characters like Miss Binney is when they're as in life uh, when they're when they're done, when they're done, they're done. And although she might mention a former teacher and have fond memories of her, the teacher is, Ramona has moved on to the next stage in her life. But the teachers all, like their teachers, I think that that's, Beverly Cleary gets what it's like from both sides. And while we're never in the head of Miss Binney or any of her future teachers, she paints all these teachers ultimately with a very uh, empathetic and sympathetic light you 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 feel their struggle with Ramona as they're also trying to balance their attention with all these other kids uh, but you only see it through Ramona's eyes but well enough and clear enough that you understand what's going on with these teachers as well like she manages to legitimately show you what life is like through the eyes of a child with enough crystal clarity that as that as a reader you you don't see these adults painted as as one-dimensional characters they are they they have full lives you're just seeing them through this prism of a child's i, I don't know it just it works very well like especially with poor miss binny who is tripping over her words as she tries to like navigate the, her relationship with this little girl who's very energetic and very and wants so much to learn and be loved but also like will misunderstand when you say sit here for the present and think she's going to get a present. And then when you realize you've made a mistake, have to carefully walk around these, these words so you don't just completely devastate this small child. Like it just, it's, it's, it's this beautiful dance of words that Beverly Cleary uh, covers the page with. Right. The other thing that comes out of this book is the kind of dry wit that uh, Beverly Cleary does that I think makes these books a great groundwork for children eventually growing up to read say Jane Austen or something like that because there's there's a sequence in here where they're doing the show and tell and yes. Ramona is bringing her doll Chevrolet this time sharp-eyed readers will remember it was Bindex yes. back in the day <laughs> but it's, it's Chevrolet and she loans a a dirty old bunny uh, doll to Howie. It's actually and, the cat's doll. Oh, right, the cat's doll, right. And <laughs> and it's what's so wonderful about that is Miss Binny tries to make it into this sentimental uh, play of, 
oh, I can see how well loved this doll is because it's falling <laughs> apart. You know, it's it's basically been torn apart by picky picky, um, <laughs> and it's just hilarious to me. Partly because it's also a good uh, introduction to Howie, who is such a brilliant character. I think in this book, yeah. He's so, you know, we we talk about Murph in the um, in the Henry Huggins books as being this this kind of uh, a a flat idea of what a nerd is. Howie is not a nerd, but he is so calm and so um, deliberative in everything that he does. Yes. And that, that, and that makes him the perfect foil for Ramona, who is driven by passion. And what's kind of amusing is all these books that we've seen with Henry Huggins, where the question was always, what do you do about Ramona? How do you handle Ramona? Howie can handle Ramona wonderfully, just yeah. simply by putting up this... St- uh, you know this stone face, and you know just just uh, I I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> well, how he is how he comes across as a guy who's learned to deal with his mother, his little sister, presumably his older sister who gets mentioned once and then never again. Uh, I think Beverly Cleary forgot that Howie was supposed to have an older sister. Um, because she disappears, she gets uh, Chuck Cunningham right out of these books. Uh, but he is—he seems like he's learned to deal with a with a world where he doesn't get a whole lot of attention by just sort of like in, going way inside himself. Uh, of course, Cleary doesn't come out and say anything like that because again, we only see him through Ramona's eyes. But he is—he's hilarious in his own right because he deals with the world by taking everything at face value. Uh, not in any kind of pathological sense, just in a very patient sense. And he's learned that he can he can frustrate people as much as Ramona does by being calm and never getting worked up about anything. Like, and I love that. I love that that there's these two kids who know how to who kind of know how to get what they want in completely different ways. Now, Howie does the um, there's the chapter after the after Miss Benny gives the ribbon to the bunny doll how he decides that the ribbon is his uh yeah. and the it it's a it's a funny through line that shows how clary is very good at kind of keeping an idea rolling from one scene to another until it gets down to how he uh, offers to give ramona back her ribbon to make the uh tricycle her tricycle into a bicycle and i i, I love that sequence because Howie is so literal about it. It's like what makes a bicycle a bicycle is that it has two wheels. So if we take one wheel off a tricycle, then it must be a bicycle. Yes. And the other thing that I I noticed this time was he removed the wheel by taking off a cotter pin. Yeah. And I, I, all I could think of was like, oh my God, this thing must be... Uh, I, I forgot how paste and staples... Uh, kids toys were back in the day Uh (laughs) everyone likes to say oh they don't make things like they used to or whatever but uh, a cotter pin holding it holding on a wheel i I just i immediately realized how cheap this uh, bicycle was (laughs) bicycle was it could be taken apart by a five-year-old like (laughs) uh i do want to point out uh the scene where howie is insisting the ribbon is his and that ramona is getting angrier and angrier about it uh Lewis Darling's illustration for that is fundamentally bizarre and 
very impressionistic. We were talking off the air. You had mentioned uh, that his his illustrations for this book are getting strangely abstract in some ways. And the illustration for that, Howie is almost drawn like a 1960s pop art uh, cartoon character, like something out of like uh, the old uh, like Quisp cartoons, like something you would see on the box <laughs> of cereal. And Ramona is drawn as this like strangely like almost creature like character. It's it's very off putting, but also like a great illustration of Howie being all like angles and lines and 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 uh like very flat and Ramona being out of control and shaggy and, and kind of falling apart at the seams. Yeah. Louis Starling, this is his last, this is his last time illustrating Ramona. He will illustrate runaway Ralph next year following, but then I believe he died soon after. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and these, these final illustrations um, are so odd to me. I mean, they're, they're beautiful and I love them, but they're also so full of there's the scene where Ramona is uh, going down the hill on her now two-wheeled tricycle and everything is this agitated scratchy lines and Mm -hmm. lines uh, her forehead brow lines are coming off her head yeah and it's just uh, they're they're remarkable drawings and now we've mentioned this before I, I believe they are going to be reissuing the Cleary books with all the original Lois Darling illustrations. So I do hope people uh, who are interested go out and see those. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the sense of movement, his sense of, I don't know, he he really gets these characters. And uh, while, while uh, you know, like there's been other illustrators who've jumped on, like it is interesting that this is his last his last, as Beverly Cleary herself is moving into another phase in her career, that this is like the nearing the end of her relationship with Lewis Darling. Uh, the next illustrator is going to be Alan Teagren. Yes, and, who I love. Who I adore. And part of what is fascinating about that is the way that it fully takes Ramona out of the world of the 50s and 60s and smack dab right into the middle of the 70s with the next yes. book. So, and it's appropriate. Like it's it's appropriate in the way the way that the shift happens it not only mirrors the way the the culture is changing and the way we look at illustration in general but also the way Beverly Cleary's focus is changing from the whimsical world of and the emotional inner life of children to the the difficult world of being a family in economic hardship like it's it it works like it works and we'll definitely dive into that when we get to all these wonderful books coming up. <laughs> well, we've been we've been kind of just gushing on this book. Are, are there are there scenes you want to talk about? Or? There's so many scenes I want to talk about. You don't <laughs> understand. Like there's there's parts in this book that there's lines in this book that stuck with have stuck with me that just jump into my head uh, unbidden uh, when I when I would take. So I have a I have a child in first grade, and when I would take her into to kindergarten and see her in her class. The first thing I would think of when I would see her little friends would be the kids yelling, kindergarten babies, kindergarten babies. <laughs> and Ramona's stamping her foot and going, we are not babies. And I always think about that. Like ever since I was a child, like Ramona's defiant, we are not babies uh, because these first graders are calling them babies. Um, one of my favorite things about this book is Ramona gets into trouble a couple of like big trouble a couple of times and is forced to sit out uh, of the classroom and not participate. And 
the two times when it happens, there is a a small child and her older her older sister just happen to be walking by. And Ramona's sitting there embarrassed at being called out for her behavior. And this little girl walks by with her holding the hand of, of her of her little sibling. And they just look at her and go like, that girl got in trouble. <laughs> and the little girl just like staring in awe at this horrible child sitting out. And then it happens again. Look, after you've forgotten about this incident, like chapters and chapters later, Ramona has to sit out again. And these same two little girls just happen to walk by. And the older sister goes, that girl got in trouble again. And you're like, oh my god, she can't like, like her humiliation is just compounded by the fact that this like this small child just has to has to walk by and call it out to her younger sibling and just be like, this is a word of warning for you, child. Don't let this happen to you, because this exact thing happened to me in school. I never got in trouble in school, but once I got in trouble for goofing around on the kickball court. And me and a bunch of other kids had to sit out in the hallway and wait to see what our punishment was going to be. And it was nothing. Like, we, I think we had to like write our names on the board. But we're sitting out, and these little kids walked by, and one of them was a little kid I knew from the neighborhood. And they walked by, and I was like, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. And then he looked up and saw that it was me, and he just sort of, like, stared at me, and he shook his head, and he just walked on. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I'm an example. I'm now an example to smaller children, like what not to do. And it's always this moment with Ramona has always reverberated with me. It's just it's it never comes back. It's not a huge deal, but it's these like tiny little details that she throws in of like the petty humiliations of life when you're a child. Like, can it get any worse? Yes, it can get worse. But yeah, when you ask other things that stand out, yes, Ramona hiding behind the trash cans because she doesn't want to go in uh, and meet her substitute and her her uh her her principal just understanding like that it's scary to not know how to deal with a substitute teacher and her her substitute teacher not understanding that the little cues the little kitty cats Ramona draws are kitty cats and Ramona being like oh this poor substitute who's so dumb she doesn't understand like, what what the letter Q is <laughs> poor poor Mrs Wilcox a grown up lady teacher who did not know Q <laughs> um. <laughs> And she says, why, Ramona, what charming little cats you've drawn. Do you have kittens at home? And Ramona goes, no, our cat is a boy cat. And I just, I love everything about this. Ramona not wanting to be sensible because she hates being sensible. And the way the, the, way the shoe salesman talks to, talks to Ramona's mother into buying new boots for Ramona. Like, I just, there's so many little details. I'd had to do a diorama. We all had to do dioramas when we studied this book uh, of our favorite scene from the book. And I was so enamored of Lewis Darling's drawing of Ramona stuck in the mud and the kids seeing her and Ramona just standing with her boots stuck in this mud and humiliated and sad that her boots were ruined, that that was the diorama I did. And I was so enamored of the illustration that I actually, although we weren't supposed to, I, I copied Lewis Darling's illustration as well as I could onto cardboard and cut it out to make it the centerpiece of my Ramona because not only was I enamored of that moment, I was so in love with Ramona as a, as a character and a little kid who I wanted to know that I had to like honor her in diorama form, in shoebox form. And I cut out a little like, I made a little like a, 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 a chain link fence to see her through and I set her out there and I painted the background and I wanted it to be the most perfect uh, Ramona diorama and impress my friends and impress the teacher because I wanted them to know how much I love this book. <laughs> so, yes, there were scenes that stood out. Uh, her chasing Davy and Davy being 
the stupidest kid in class, but also like this little boy she felt so bad for and enamored by that she just wanted to hug him and kiss. I, I don't know. Yes. Yes. To answer your question. Yes. There are many scenes I love about this book. We've mentioned before the way that uh, Cleary is very good at describing economic issues yes. from a child's perspective. And this series is going to really get down and dirty into the, the mud of this. But from the, the, the sequence with the boots um, where Ramona is the inheritor of uh, Howie's old boots and she wants her own boots is you know a brilliant it's a brilliant introduction to this theme because quite frequently in children's books when the issue of poverty or economic disparity is brought up it's always going to be like the charlie bucket character the character who's just absolutely destitute in you know starving living in a shack somewhere and this is a a story this is going to become a story about families dealing with hardship and insecurity and not being quite clear what they can and cannot afford from one moment to the next but it, it, it's not that and, and it's so well handled in getting inside what that does to the kid yeah um, the uh, I, I, again I, I too many stories having to deal with poverty take the line of oh here's a poor kid but he's got a heart of gold so it all it's all going to work out or whatever and it's there, there's some sort of a penny penniless ragamuffin or something like that this is not that this is but it, it is um and it's 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 interesting that this kind of realism is coming forward in these this books about uh kids in a major prosperous metropolitan city in post-war period yeah that, I, I mean by this point in history uh, i think the people the 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 economic boom of the post-war period is starting to slow down it's going to slow down in a huge way in the 70s yeah and uh i think that it, it's it's interesting to me what's just off the page in these books in a way you know it's kind of kind of mm -hmm. like you can see things happening you know, uh, issues of women in, in the workforce are going to come up in this series, um, certainly. And uh, the issues of smoking are going to come up again in this it's series true. because people are only now really acknowledging how dangerous that is. Um, so this, is, this isn't quite as... Um, this isn't as quite as plain... And out there as some of the later Ramona books, but it is making that switch between what the, the world of Henry Huggins, which is kind of a world of charming childhood hijinks, to a world of these are kids that inhabit the actual world that we know. Yeah, and I think part of what Beverly Cleary does so well in this is you said that like the 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 the, the fact the economic issues are kind of in the they're kind of waiting in the wings right now but she also only lets you see what's going on as as much as Ramona would be aware of it like and she does that throughout the books like she'll you're only going to be aware of her parents 
economic difficulties if a Ramona is aware of her parents' economic difficulties. And of course, as the child gets older, she becomes more aware of, and her parents will tell her more. But uh, so yeah, and this, like you just get the hints that like, well, she, why is she wearing the neighbor's hand-me-down boots? Like, why is that a thing? And, uh, you know, like the 99 cent mask from the drugstore and little things like that, that, that to a child don't mean anything except inconvenience, maybe. But to an adult now reading it starts making a little bit more sense. But to a degree that like when I finally read the rest of the, the rest of the books, it never felt like it came out of nowhere. Like it, you, you definitely got that this was a, this was something that she had been building to. Now, Beezus is not in this book as much as she might have been. She kind of shows up at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting to me because uh, when we last left off, uh, Be- Ramona and uh, Beezus and Ramona, that you you had mentioned that you thought that in a way these books were ultimately about Beezus. Um, what do you think about now as you're reading this through with uh, the Ramona books? <laughs> it is funny because Beezus is pretty much a non-character in these books. She, I think she's in like, she comes in with her friend a, a couple of times. Then at the end, she's like a catalyst for like Ramona flipping out about the dawn's early light. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, she's really a non-player. And I think that they're, I think that this, I think because Ramona the Pest is a real transitional book, uh, into the new Ramona series, Beezus definitely becomes far more of a player later on down the line. Uh, we get to see her uh, develop as a character more. But I can understand why she would focus more on Ramona in these books, because this is really about Ramona's huge experience entering the world of not just school, but like legitimate childhood as opposed to like homebound childhood. Um, but I think there's still a case to be made that we can follow Beezus's progression as much as Ramona, at least up through Ramona forever. Well, I think I think one of the things that happens in this book that does link it to the earlier Henry books is the relationship between Ramona and Beezus and the relationship between Ramona and Henry are now uh-huh. getting reframed from Ramona's uh, side. If, if up till now, uh, Ramona has been seen as mostly a a bother or a, a kind of a force of anarchy in these people's lives we now see what is motivating uh, Ramona the, the chapter with Henry is quite pointed about how she admires Henry and sees him as this strong and serious man it, it's it's amusing to me because I know exactly the kind of feeling that is um, that that's being described there when when I got married, my little brother Dan was no. at that point only 10 years old. And we had a cousin on the other side who was a little girl. She was our ring bearer. And she met Dan for the first uh, time and became absolutely smitten with, smitten with him and announced uh-huh. very loudly that she was going to marry him. You know, marriage was in the air at that point. Everyone was talking about weddings, and she she was she would tell it to everyone. And poor Dan was extremely <laughs> embarrassed and very confused by this attention from a little girl he didn't know at all. And uh, that's a you know that that's a kind of a, a thing that Ramona is working out in her, in her in her head is sort of like what her relationship is to to boys. You know, in, uh-huh. in, in Obviously, when you're that age, you don't really have romantic sexual feelings, but you do have this kind of a sense that the world is set up this way. Yeah. And you're, and you're kind of trying to work out how you fit into that way. Of course, the person she's closest to, Howie, 
is there's there's no there's nothing romantic about that at all. They're just completely no. just buds. Um, and with uh, and with Beezus, you Beezus gets to be a kind of a monster here in, in a way because she basically is there to when Ramona is already having a kind of a bad time to yeah. just kind of dig in about oh Ramona made a linguistic error here in thinking that that the line the dawn's early light was the dawn's early light yeah <clears throat> and there's no reason for for Beezus to be triumphant um and Ramona is frustrated because Beezus doesn't realize how much of an advantage she has being older in understanding the world yeah there's some impatience you have at that age of of, of wanting to understand the world um of, of wanting to be able to it's not this book but there was like another book of the Ramona series where she talks about how as she's driving down the road she's excited when she can see a word that she knows mm-hmm. in, in a sign yeah. and, and that that always stuck with me as, as a line from these books because I, I do remember that uh, at this age of, of you, you just you're just waiting to be inducted into all this mysterious life that's out there no I uh there's a lot of good stuff in this book. <laughs> like it, it's almost overwhelming to like sit here and look at and think about and look at these notes I've taken and these lines I've highlighted and just, I'm amazed at so much of what happens in this book happens in this one book because after Beezus, after Beezus has her like Donzer moment and makes fun of Ramona uh, for making her, like you said, her linguistic era er, uh, error, uh, we get this moment in Ramona's head where she says, you know, her parents are trying not to laugh at Ramona's faux pas. And she thinks to herself, Beezus was right and she was wrong. She was nothing but a girl who used to go to kindergarten and who got everything wrong and made everyone laugh. She was a stupid little sister, a dumb, stupid little sister who never did anything right. And then she's been working on these problems in school where they were supposed to cross out the things that didn't belong. And she gets so mad, and she makes a big crisscross motion in the air with her hand, and she shouts, cross out Beezus! And then she throws her crayons on the floor, stamped her feet, bursts into tears, and runs into the room. And then she throws, she doesn't throw a tantrum. She talk, They talk in the beginning of the book about Ramona intentionally having a great big noisy fuss. Whenever Ramona doesn't get what she wants, she would just have a great big noisy fuss. And she would, she would get what she wanted. And Throughout the book, she keeps almost having great big noisy fusses, but then not. And at the end here, in this last chapter, she doesn't have a great big noisy fuss. She has an emotional breakdown. Um, she has the difference between a, a an attention getting tantrum and a legitimate like what you see, what I see my child have, which is I can't handle this anymore. And just an explosion. And she explodes in her room. She pounds on the wall with her feet, screaming, mean, 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 and banging on the wall. And I think it's telling that her parents don't treat it like Ramona being bad. They let Ramona have her explosion. You know, Beezus is like, Ramona's kicking the wall. And her parents are just like, if you're going to kick the wall, take off your shoes. And Ramona basically erupts until she just runs out of energy. And it's this is the moment in the book, by the way, where I tear up because I recognize this. I recognize this frustration. I recognize a child legitimately melting down, not because they're 
they're being bad, but because everything has just been terrible and everyone's laughing at them and nothing is fair and the world is too big and too overwhelming and it doesn't solve anything. Like the chapter goes on. Ramona, by the way, at this point has been asked to leave school (laughs) because she can't behave herself. And her teachers are, they're playing this like game of chicken. Basically her teacher's like, if you can't behave yourself the way you need to, you can't be in class. And Ramona's just allowed to not be in school until she can behave herself. And they're like, it's this power struggle that is allowed to go on, which of course today would not be allowed to go on. But uh, I don't know. It's even, but even Beezus like ends up being like feeling sympathy for her. Uh, when, when Mary Jane comes over and makes fun of, of Ramona for not going to school and Beezus says, don't tease her, said Beezus, who might laugh at her sister herself, but was quick to protect her from others. And I don't know, there's just, there is just this whole chapter is just this emotional powder keg that resolves itself, not in a completely fix it all kind of way, but in an emotionally satisfying way that, that just grabs my heart and just pulls on it every single time I read it. Like I, 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 whether it's where the wild things are or this book, books that understand the the anger and the rage in a child's heart and sympathize with that just they get me every time and this book does that it says like yep kids kids are angry and the world doesn't understand them and that's where most of their anger comes from like it just it just it works on me and it gets me every single time part of what this book does that i've mentioned before uh Cleary is able to do from from time to time in her books is it perfectly frames a specific moment in a child's life and I think that the Ramona books I'll I'll see as I read through them but I I can remember each of the books in turn having these wonderful moments of the sort of interludes almost of like here's here's what life is like when you are 10 years old here's what life is like when you are eight years old here's what like and uh and 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 that those are the things that make me tear up i i probably my my favorite book in the world is uh betsy byers the midnight fox which i read around the same time that i was reading henry huggins books and that's a book that has these these framed moments in time and the author actually points it out in a way and that was when i developed a certain aesthetic sense of that as something you would try for and the cleary is now at at as she launches into the ramona books so in control of her writing that she can pull off like three or four of those sequences in a book which is yeah. remarkable and that's one of the reasons why it's kind of in some ways, it's kind of hard to talk about these books because all you want to do is say, "Remember when that happened? That was yep. pretty great, wasn't?" So, um, so I, I guess I would I would say, thematically, I felt reading through this time that this was a book that was completely interested in the idea of uh, of identity and the and your your role in the world when you are when you step out of the domestic sphere and into the the wider world for the first time 
and I, I don't think there's a, a, a false note in this. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we've talked before about Cleary's tendencies sometimes to roll on too long in scenes. I don't think any of the scenes in here go on too long. I think they're all just uh, as long as they need to be. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I wish I had something <laughs> bad to say about this book. It's hard. It's hard because they're really. I don't. I don't have any criticisms about this book. I think it turned out exactly how she intended it to turn out. Um, it's so weird though that like Mitch and Amy came right before this. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I just laughed so hard I knocked my microphone over. <laughs> it's. I mean, because that was just the opposite of everything in this book, and it's like she was like, I just. I only have so much so much good writing in me i'm not going to waste it on that book about my kids no but in all seriousness you could we could seriously i think just do a podcast about this one book like you could just devote an episode to part of each chapter and just talk about it because there's a little bit everywhere like uh and beyond just her insight and her patience and her and her pacing and everything like she's she's also setting up a series like these characters, Susan and the, these minor characters, come back repeatedly, and not only does Ramona grow, they grow. And I'm 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 going to be fascinated to talk about how each of these how each of these peers of Ramona and these little characters uh, also change along the way. You know, and as she grows, they uh, they develop. She gets different relationships with them and learns different things about them. And we also get to see the the bizarre and fascinating. Uh, how each book is not even one year later in the life of Ramona, but also stays permanently fixed in whatever year it happens to be published in. Yeah. So while Ramona never, there's no time jumps in the story, but there's time jumps in the era. How did a girl who was watching a Howdy Doody equivalent on TV one year suddenly driving in, you know, writing in a 1977, uh, uh, Ford uh, two door to the shopping mall with her family like the very next year like it's just Cleary doesn't care she keeps the characters grounded within their era and that's just another thing that makes these books surprisingly work so well well before we continue on with the series the next book will be Runaway Ralph yes (laughs) (laughs) which which is also going to show like I think an advance in her perspective and writing from the book that came before it. I, I really am curious to know. I, I I suspect that I know the answer. I was I was about to say I, I wonder why there were all these books written one after another in the fifties, and then through the sixties things kind of were spotty, mm-hmm. and then we're going to get into a period where she was coming out with a new book every year. I suspect it was probably motherhood that was uh getting in the way there but um but it's interesting because she's she's going to really uh she's going to really put her nose to the grindstone here and work on the ramona series is a an amazingly cohesive uh series for a children's uh picture uh, chapter book series there, there are events that are picked up from one to the the other, and more so as it goes along. They, they, they do require reading in order. Henry Huggins, you could kind of read whatever order you wanted to. I mean, <laughs> you're just gonna wonder where this Murph guy came from. I mean, and they came out so quickly one after the other, especially Ramona and her father, Ramona and her mother, 
and Ramona. Well, I guess Ramona the Brave too. Like it was just it was just a small gap there. I think Ramona and her father, Ramona and her mother, I believe are the ones that like you finish the first one and the next book picks up like kind of one day later. Like it's just she I have a feeling that she wrote these all as a piece, like not as one book, but like she knew where this was going. She knew what story she was telling and she just had to start just getting it out because, yeah, that those four books form a cohesive narrative uh, that all builds to Dear Mr. Henshaw. <laughs> I just, I'm looking at this and I'm like, we're talking about a mouse who rides a motorcycle. And then at some point, we're going to be talking about Dear Mr. Henshaw, which I had trouble as a child reconciling with the fact that it was a Beverly Cleary book because it is such a different book. But we'll get to that in about a year or so. <laughs> we've got a book about a mouse we've got a book about a cat and then we've got a whole bunch of books about Ramona coming up okay well um, thanks everybody yeah and by the way yes I highly recommend this book if (laughs) if you haven't read Ramona the Pest in a while please go back and reread it it's I think it's it's worth a read even as an adult You have been listening to Click It Cast, a Beverly Cleary podcast here on the Incomparable Network. Readings were done by Mitzi Gonzalez-Gravitz. For more information about the podcasts featured on the Incomparable Network, visit theincomparable.com. The Incomparable Network. Smart. Funny. Podcasts.